As a real estate manager, Principal Asset Management harnesses the power of a 360-degree perspective, delivering local insights and global expertise across public and private equity and debt. Their teams apply local insights and global perspectives to help identify the most compelling investing opportunities. Principal Asset Management, actively invested. Learn more at principalam.com. Investing involves risk, including possible loss of principal. Principal Asset Management SM is a trade name of Principal Global Investors, LLC. Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. It's packed with benefits to help unlock more value from your business purchases. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash businessgoldcard. And welcome to another episode of the Odd Lots podcast. I'm Joe Weisenthal. And I'm Tracy Alloway. Tracy, I'm not sure if you've heard anyone talking about it or anything, but have you heard about like this sort of AI thing people have been discussing? Oh, you know what? I I discovered this really cool (laughs) new thing called ChatGPT. Oh, yeah. I I saw that website, too. Yeah. Have you tried it? I, I I tried it. Yeah, I had it like write a poem for me. She's pretty cool technology. <laughs> we, we should probably learn more about it. Yeah, I think we should. No, okay. All right. Obviously, we're being facetious and joking, but everyone has been talking about AI and these new sort of natural language interfaces that allow you to ask questions or generate all different types of texts and things like that. It feels like everyone is very excited about that space. Every, like almost every to conversation. Put it like I, w- I went out with some friends that I hadn't seen in a long time. Like I was at a bar last night and like the conversation like turned to AI within like two minutes. And everyone's talking about the experiments they did. But yes, there is a lot. It's basically like this like wall of noise. Mm. And everyone's been talking about actually but us because I don't think we have done, as far as I can recall, like an AI episode We don't want to just add to the noise and get another sort of chin stroke around. But obviously, there's a lot there for us to discuss. Totally. And I'm sure this will be the first of many episodes. But one of the ways that it fits into sort of classic Odd Lots lore is via semiconductors, right? If you think about what ChatGPT, for instance, is doing, it's taking words and transforming them into numbers and then spitting those words back out at you. And the thing that enables it to do that, semiconductors, chips. Right. So here's like the four things I think I know about this. And so this is that A, Training the AI models so that they can do that is a computationally intensive process. Mm -hmm. B, each query is much more computationally intensive than, say, a Google search. Three, the company that's absolutely crushing the space and printing money because of this is NVIDIA. And four, there is a general scarcity of computing power so that even if you and I like were brilliant mathematicians and AI theorists, et cetera, if we wanted to start a Chad GPT competitor, just getting access to the computing power in order to do that would not be trivial, even if we had tons of money. Outside of I'm that- I'm going to buy an out-of-business crypto mine and take all the Tracy, chips out Tracy, they've already that. been bought. Already, <laughs> someone got that. But that's it. That's basically the extent of my understanding of the nexus between this a- AI and chips. And I suspect there's more to know than just those well, four facts. Well, I also think having a conversation about semiconductors and AI is yes. a really good way to understand the underlying technology yes. of both those things. 
So that's what I'm hoping for out of this conversation. All right. Well, you mentioned we've been doing we've done lots of chips episodes in the past. So we're going to go uh, uh, back to the future or something like that. We're going to go back to our first episode, our first guest <laughs> where we started exploring chips episodes. I think it was the first one that we did sometime maybe in early 2021. We're going to be speaking with Stacy Razgan, Managing Director and Senior Analyst of U.S. Semiconductors and Semiconductor Capital Equipment at Bernstein Research, someone who's great at breaking all this stuff down, has been doing a lot of research on this question now. So, Stacy, thank you so much for coming back on Odd Lots. I, I am so happy to be back. Thank you so much for having me. All right, so I'm going to start with just sort of like not even a business question, but a sort of semiconductor design question, which is this company, NVIDIA, like for years, I just sort of knew them as like they were the company that made graphics cards for video games. And then for a while they got there like, oh, and they're also good for crypto mining. And they were very popular for a while in uh, Ethereum mining when it used proof of work. And now my understanding is everyone wants their chips for AI purposes. And we'll get into all that. But just to start, what is it about the design of their chips that makes them naturally suited for these other things? A company that started in graphics cards that makes them naturally suited for these things like AI in a way, apparently, that other chip makers like, say, in Intel, their chips do not seem to be as used for this space. Yeah, so... Let me let me step back. Yeah, Either sure. If the, are, if the question are, are if they if the question is totally flawed in its premise, then feel free to say your question is totally. <laughs> no, flawed no, no, in let, its let me step back. So, so sure. I, I'd say <laughs> the idea of like using compute in artificial intelligence has obviously been around for a long, long time. And actually, the AI industry has been through a number of what they call AI winters mm. over the years, where people would get really excited about this, and then they would do work, and then it would just turn out it, it wasn't working, and, and pretty much it was just because the the compute capacity and capabilities of the hardware at the time doesn't really wasn't really up to the task and so interest would wane and you'd go through this winter period and a while back oh i don't know 10 15 years ago whenever it was it was sort of discovered that the types of calculations that are used for neural networks and machine learning it turns out they are very similar to the kinds of application or the kinds of mathematics that are used for for graphics processing mm. processing and graphics rendering as it turns out it's primarily matrix multiplication. And we'll, we'll probably get into this call on this call a little bit in terms of how these machine learning models and everything actually work. But at the end of the day, really, it, it comes down to like really, really large amounts of matrix multiplication and parallel operations. And as it turned out, uh, the GPU, the graphics processing unit was, was quite suitable. Okay, before you go on, and, and maybe we'll get yeah. into this in hour three of this conversation. No, we're not going to go that long. But what is matrix multiplication? Yeah, so I, I don't know how many of your <laughs> listeners here have uh, have uh, had linear algebra or anything, but um, a matrix is just like an array of numbers. Like think okay. about like a square array of numbers. Okay. Okay. And matrix multiplication is I've got two of these arrays and I'm multiplying them together, and it's it's not as simple as the kind of math or multiplication that maybe you're typically used to, but it can be done. And it turns out there are some of these characteristics of these kinds of matrices. These number of these matrices can be really big, and there's like lots and lots of operations that need to happen, and this stuff needs to happen like like quite rapidly. And again, I'm, I'm grossly simplifying here like for the for the listeners. Yeah. Um, but when when you're working through these kinds of uh, machine learning models, that that's really what you're doing. It's it's a bunch of different matrices, a bunch of different arrays of numbers that contain all of the different parameters and, and things. And by the way, we should probably step up a bit and talk about like what, what we actually mean when we talk about 
machine learning and, 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 and models and all kinds of things. But at the end of the day, you have these really large arrays of numbers that have to get multiplied together in many cases over and over again many, many times. And it, it's a, it turns into a very, very large compute problem. And it's something that the GPU architecture can actually turn mm. out can do really, really efficiently, much more efficiently than, than you could say on, on, a, on a traditional CPU. And so it, as it turns out, the GPU has become a good architecture for this. Now, what NVIDIA has done on top of this, not only with, with having the hardware, is they've also built a really massive software ecosystem around all of this. They they have a, their software is called CUDA. Think about it as kind of like the, the software, the programming environment, hmm. like the parallel programming environment for these GPUs. And they've layered on all kinds of other libraries and SDKs and everything on, on top of that, that actually makes this relatively easy to use and to deploy and to deliver. And so they've built up not just the hardware, but uh. also the software around this. And it's given them a really, really sort of like 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 massive gap versus like a lot of the other competitors that are now trying to get into this market as well. And so, and, and it's funny, you know, if you look at NVIDIA as, as a stock, I mean, today, I mean, this morning, it's about, oh, I don't know, $260 or $270 a share. This was a $10 to $20 stock forever. And in fact, they, they did a 4 for one stock split, re- stock split recently. So that'd be more like, you know, like a $2.50 to $5 stock on, t- yeah. on today's basis for, for years and years and years. <laughs> And just the, the magnitude of the growth that we've had with, with these guys over, over the last like five or 10 years, particularly around their data center business and artificial intelligence and everything has, has just been like quite remarkable. And so the earnings have gone through the roof and, and clearly the multiple <laughs> that you're placing on those earnings has gone through the roof because you know, the, the, the view is that the opportunity here is massive and that we're early and there's a lot of runway ahead of us. And the stocks, I mean, it's, it's had its ups and yeah. downs, but in general, it's, it's been a home run. I definitely want to ask you about where we are in the sort of semiconductor stock price cycle. But before we get into that, you know, I I will also bite on on the really basic question that you already alluded to. But how does machine learning slash AI actually work? You mentioned this idea of, I guess, processing a bunch of data in parallel versus, I guess, old style computing where it would be sequential. But like, Talk to us about what is actually happening here and yeah. how does it fit into the semiconductor space? You, you bet. You bet. So let me let me first abstract this up and I'll give you a really contrived example, just sort of simplistically about what's going on. And then we can go a little bit more into the actual details of what's happening. But let's imagine you want to have some kind of a, a, a neural network. By the way, these, machine learning is typically done with something called a neural network. And I'll, I'll talk about what that is in a moment. But let's let's just imagine, for example, you want to build a an, an artificial intelligence, a neural network to recognize pictures of cats. Mm-hmm. Let's just say, okay. So let's imagine I've got this black box sitting in front of me, and and it's got a slot on one side where I'm taking pictures and I'm feeding them in. It's got a display on the other side which tells me yes, it's a cat or no, it's not. And on the side of the box, there are a billion knobs <laughs> that you can turn, okay. And, and, and they'll change various parameters of this model that right now are inside the black box. Don't worry about what those parameters are, but there's there's knobs that can change them. And so effectively what you're doing when you're training this thing, and by the way, when, when you have the artificial intelligence, what you have is you have this big black box. You need to train it to do a specific task. That's what we're going to talk about in a moment. That's called training. And then once it's trained, you need to use it for, for whatever task you've trained it for. That, that task is called inference. So you got mm-hmm. to do the training and inference. So with the training, here's what we do. I've got my box with a slot and the display and a billion knobs. Okay. 
So what I do for the training process effectively is I take a, a picture and, I, and a, a, a known picture. Okay, so I know if it's a cat or not. I, I feed it into the box and I, and I look at the display and it tells me, yes, it's a cat or yes, it's not. And it probably gets it wrong. And so then what I do is I turn some of the knobs and I feed another picture in. And then I turn some of the knobs and, and I'm, I'm basically tuning all of the parameters and sort of measuring how accurate is this network at doing its task, at recognizing is this a picture of a cat or is it not? And I keep feeding pictures in, known pictures, known, known data set, and I keep playing with all the knobs until the accuracy of the thing is wherever I want it to be. So yes, it's decided that that, that now it's very good at recognizing is, is, is this a picture of a cat or is it not? At that point, my model, my box is trained. I now lock all of those knobs in place. I don't move them anymore. And now I use it. Now I can just feed in pictures and it'll tell me, yes, it's a cat or yes, it's not. And so the process of training this model is what that's really what it's about. It's about varying all of the parameters. And by the way, these models can have billions or hundreds of billions or even more of, of parameters that, that can be changed. And that's the process of training. You're basically trying to optimize this, this sort of situation. I'm, I'm changing the parameters a little bit at a time such that I can optimize the response of this thing, such, such that I can get the, the performance of it, the accuracy of, of the network to be high. So that, that's the training process. And it is very, very compute intensive because you can imagine if I've got a billion different knobs that I'm turning on, trying to optimize the output, that takes a lot of compute. The inference process, once it's all done, is, is much less compute intensive hmm. because I'm not changing anything. I'm just uh. applying the network as it is to, to whatever data that I'm feeding in at that point. I'm not changing anything. But I may be doing a lot more. The, the difference with the inference, I may be using it all the time, whereas once I've trained the model, I've trained it. So it's more like a one and done versus like a continual use sort of thing. Since you talk, since we're getting into sort of the economics yeah. of training versus inference, A, is there sort of any way to get a sense of like, let's say Tracy and me start Odd Lodge GPT. It's a competitor yeah. to Chet, a competitor yeah. to OpenAI. Like, yeah. what are we thinking of in terms of just that scale? How much we're spending... Uh, yeah. to compute on on the training part, then how much our recurring costs in terms yes. of inference are. And then I'm also just curious, like also like, I, I know you said the inference is much cheaper, but how much cheaper mm -hmm. is it versus say, asking Google a well, question? Again, so, so how much cheaper. more expensive is it? How much more expensive is a yeah. Chad GPT query or an Odd Lodge GPT query versus just a normal Google search? Yeah, no, you, you bet. And by the way, when I say cheaper, it's like for any given given yes. single use, right? Yeah. Again, if I've got if I'm if I've got like a hundred billion different inference activities, maybe it's not. It's still expensive, right? Yeah. right? yeah. But I first want to talk about the, just just really quickly about like so that this is my big abstract contrived example about what's going on. If if I go just a little bit deeper about what yeah what this thing is, like let's talk just briefly about a neural network, and then I will get to right. your question. But it, but it kind it. of influences it. Um, so think, what is a neural network? If I was to draw like a representation of a neural network for you, what I would do is I would have a bunch of, of circles. Each of those circles would be a neuron. And you, I, I wish I was there. I could draw a picture for you. But imagine like- a, some Send a picture got, after like, you're a, done. Send a picture and yeah, we'll, we'll run it with it. the episode. We'll run it with the episode. Uh, okay, okay. Yeah. I, I, can, I can do that. Your hand-drawn I mean, hand <laughs> explanation of how- so On a napkin. These are very easy to, <laughs> these are very easy okay. to find. But, but yeah. anyways, but imagine- like I've got like a, a group of circles. I've got like a column, you know, in, in column one with like three circles and then column two, I've got, I don't know, three or four circles and column three, I've got some circles. These are my neurons. And imagine I've got arrows that are connecting each circle to the circles in, in one row to all of the circles in the next row. 
Those are my connections between my neurons. So you can see it looks like kind of a, a net or a, or a network, okay? And so within each circle, I've got some what's called an activation function. So what each circle does is it takes an input, the arrow that's coming into it, and it has to decide based on those inputs, do I send an output out, out the other side or not, right? So there's some certain threshold. If, if the inputs reach some amount of threshold, the neuron will fire, just, just like the neuron in your in hmm. your brain, okay? Each, each neuron can have more than one input coming in from, from more than one neuron in, in the previous. These are called layers, by the way, these rows of circles. Um, can have more than one input from the different uh, neurons in the previous layer. And that the neuron can weight those those different inputs differently. It's good. It can say, you know, from, from this one neuron, I'm going to give that a 50% weight. And from the other neuron, I'll only weight at 20%. I'm not going to take the full signal. So those are called the, 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 the weights of the network. And so each neuron has inputs coming in and outputs going out. And each of those inputs and outputs will have a weight associated with it. So those, those are, when I remember I talked about those knobs, those parameters, Yeah. those weights are, are one set of parameters. And then within each neuron, there's, there's basically, there's a certain threshold with all those, all those signals coming in. When you add them up, if they reach a certain threshold, then the neuron fires. Okay. So that, that threshold is called the bias and you can tune that. Like I can have a really sensitive neuron where if the bias doesn't, I don't need a lot of, of signal coming in to make it fire. I can have a, a neuron that's less sensitive. I need a lot of signal coming in before it'll fire. Hmm. That's called a bias. That, that That's also a parameter. So those are the parameters that you're setting. The structure of, of the network itself, the number of neurons and the number of layers and everything, that's, that's sort of set. And then you're trying to determine the, these weights and biases. And again, just, just the level set, you check GPT. Which, which I'm getting excited about yeah. has 175 billion separate parameters that, that get set wow. during the during the training process. Okay, so that's that's kind of what's what's going on. As a leading real estate manager, Principal Asset Management harnesses the power of a 360-degree perspective, delivering local insights and global expertise across public and private equity and debt. Our experienced teams are uniquely positioned to uncover compelling opportunities in today's market, giving our clients an exclusive advantage. Principal Asset Management actively invested. Learn more at principalam.com. Investing involves risk, including possible loss of principal. Principal Asset Management SM is a trade name of Principal Global Investors, LLC. Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. You can earn four times points on your top two eligible spending categories every month, like transit, U.S. restaurants, and gas stations. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Four times points on up to $150,000 in purchases per year. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash businessgoldcard. Before you talk about yes. the economics, can I just ask, so one of the things about the technology is it's sort of, it's supposed to be iterative, right? Like yes. it's learning as it goes along. Can you talk yes. just briefly maybe about how it's incorporating like new inputs as it develops? Yeah. So it, when, when you, when you train it, let's talk about training now. So when you train the network, it, it happens on a, on a static data set. Okay. So you have to start with a data set. Right. And in terms of chat GPT, that is, you know, it has, um, 
and a large corpus of, of data that it was trained on. It was um, based on a lot of data from the internet and from other sources, right? Basically, we've um, trained the smartest. It was the, like, whole all, of the internet, wasn't it? But also, not, I think, like, not ex- a lot of Reddit. Exactly. So it's like we've, tra- right? Like, <laughs> it's like we've trained this, like, the greatest brain of all time is, like, Reddit pills. Now, like, now, it, now it talks like, like yeah, a 17-year-old yeah. boy. <laughs> So, so there's a lot of data. And, and, and so you asked, like, sort of how does that data get, get you know, incorporated into this? So I, 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 I don't want to get too, sure. I'm already getting too complicated. I don't want to get too complicated. Let, let me talk about how standard training works, and then we can talk about ChatGPT, because that sure. uses a different kind of model. It's called a transformer model. But anyways, but when, when I'm training this, so, so what happens is, is I feed this stuff. There, there's, a, there's a process called, it's called backpropagation. Basically, what you do is you sort of feed this stuff through through the, the through the network itself, and then you work it backwards. And you're basically what you're doing is you're measuring the output against a known response. I mm. want to sort of, you know, be, be, that's my my cat picture. Is it a cat yeah. or is it not a cat? Right. I'm trying to minimize the difference between them because I want it to be accurate. Right. So what you sort of do is you roll a certain step through the network. Right. You measure the output against the against the known what what it should be. And then there's a process that's called back propagation, where what you're doing, you're actually you're calculating what's called the gradients of all of these things. You're basically looking at sort of like the sort of like the rate of change of of these different parameters, and you sort of work the network backwards. And that gradient that you're calculating kind of tells you how much to adjust each parameter. So you work it back, and then you work it forward again, and then you work it backward, and then you work it forward, and you work it backward, and then you do that un- until you've converged like that that the that the network itself is accurate to to wherever you want it to be to be accurate at that's so that's again i'm 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 grossly simplifying here i'm, yeah. I'm trying to keep this as high level as possible it's not even but that's kind of what you're doing and, and just in terms of the amount of can be sort of train yeah. chat gpt and and chat we can they've actually released all the details of the network like how many layers and what's the dimension and like parameters and all this stuff so we can do this math it turns out to take about three times 10 to the 23rd operations to train it. And so just, just that's 300 sextillion operations <laughs> it took to train chat GPT. Now, in terms of how much it costs, so chat GPT was, was they, they, they kind of said this, it was trained on 10,000 NVIDIA, uh, what they, they call the V100. That's, that's the voltage chip. That's a chip that's several years old for NVIDIA. But it was trained on supposedly about ten thousand of these, and we did some of this math ourselves. I was coming out more like three or four thousand, but there's a ton of other assumptions you have to make. And here, ten thousand seems to be the right order of magnitude for that part. That part of the time cost about, you know, I don't know, eight thousand bucks. And so the number that was kind of tossed out was something like eighty million dollars to train ChatGPT um, one time. Wow. I think on some of the doesn't seem like yeah. that much to me. Well, yeah, no, so this is, like, so, yeah, I get it, but like there are a lot of companies that could spend that have eighty million. I, I, I actually agree with it, and we're we're jumping ahead. But my yeah, yeah. my take is that for 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 large language models, and we can talk about these these different things. But for large language models like ChatGPT, I actually think inference is a bigger opportunity, and you're kind of getting to the heart of it. It's because inference scales directly. The more queries I run. Because you only have to train, you train once and that's done. And that's 80 or, million. Or even if you're training it more yeah, than once. Right. And, and again, to your question, Tracy, like you can add to the to the data set and yeah. retrain it. But if I've already got the info, let's say I'm, I'm training it every two weeks. Okay. Yeah. That'd be training it like 24, 25 times a year. But I've, I've got the the infrastructure that is in place already. Right. Right. To, to, to do that. And so the training TAM will be more around how many different uh, entities actually develop these models and how many models each do they develop and how often do they train those models? And importantly, how big do the models get? Cause this is one of the things 
ChatGPT is 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 big, but um, GPT four, which they've released now, is even bigger. They haven't they haven't talked about the specs, but I wouldn't be surprised. ChatGPT four is rumored to have over a trillion parameters. Like it very well might. And yeah, we're we're very early into this. Like these these models are going to keep getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And so that's how I think the training uh, market, the training tab, will be growing. It, it's a function of the of the number of trainings of all these models we're doing every year and the yeah. size of these models and the models will get big. Um, but in, so let's get to, but in your view, the, the big money is going to be made on the inference. So let's talk about, I, I think that. so. I think talk, so. Again, about, that's, talk about what happens then and your sort of sense of the size. Or I don't yeah. know. Yeah. So talk to yeah. us about the inference part and the economics. Of that you, part. you, you, you bet. Um, chat GPT and these large language models, it, it's a, it's a new type of model. It's called a transformer model. And there's a bunch of, compute steps that have to happen. There's also a step in there that helps it map the relation, capture the relationship between, you, you know, like, by the way, if, you, if you've ever used ChatGPT, you know, you, you type in a, like a query into a box mm -hmm. and it, and it re returns a response. So that query is broken into what are called tokens. It's basically thinking, you think about a token is, is kind of like a word or a group of words sort of, but okay. the transformer model has something it's called, it's called a self-attention mechanism. And what that does is it captures the relationship between those different tokens in the input sequence based on the training data that it has. And that's how it knows what it's really doing. It's, it's predictive text. It knows based on this query, I'm going to start the response with this word. And based on this word and this query and my data set, I know these other words typically follow. And it kind of constructs the response um, uh, from that. And so our math suggests that for like a typical query response, call it like, you know, 500 tokens or maybe 2,000 words. It was something like 400 quadrillion operations needed to accomplish something like that. And so you can size this up because I know for like an NVIDIA GPU and you can do it for different GPUs, I know how many operations per second each GPU can run. And I know how much these GPUs ballpark kind of cost. And so then you know, you got to assume like, well, okay, how many queries per day are you going to do? And you can come up with a, with a number and I mean, frankly, the number can be as big as you want. It depends on how many queries. But I think a TAM, you know, at least in the multiple tens of billions of dollars is not unreasonable, um, if if not more. And just to level set, I mean, it gets to your Google question. Google does about 10 billion searches a day, give or take. I think a lot of people have been looking at, at that level as part of like, you know, like the end all be all for where this could go. I'll be honest, like I, I understand why people are especially internet investors are concerned that large language models and things like chat GPT can start to disrupt search. I'm not exactly sure that search is the right proxy. Personally, it hmm. feels kind of limiting to me. I mean, you could imagine, I've watched a little too much Star Trek, I guess, but I mean, you could imagine, you know, when you have like a virtual assistant in the ceiling, I'm, I'm calling out to it and, you know, it doesn't have to be just search on, on my screen. I, I, I could have it in my car. Right. I could have, you know, I call up American Airlines to change my airline tickets, and it's a chat box that the, the chat bot, bot that's uh, talking to me. Um, so this could be very big. And by the way, I, I think to get, by the way, the one problem with this sort of a calculation is kind of static. Like the, the cost is sort of an output rather than an input. I think to, to drive adoption, cost will come down. And we've already seen that. Like NVIDIA has, has a new product. It's called Hopper, which is like two generations past those V100s that I was talking about, past the voltage generation. The cost per query to do this or, or the cost yeah. per training on a hopper is much lower than a Volta because it's a much more efficient part. That's a good thing, though. It, it, it's it's TAM accretive. It will drive adoption. NVIDIA actually has specific products specifically designed to do this, this kind of thing. Um, and hopper has 
specific blocks on it that actually help with with the training and inference on these kind of large language models. And so I actually think over time, as the efficiency gets better and better, you're going to drive adoption more and more. I I, I think this is a big thing. And, and remember, we're, we're still really early. ChatGPT only showed up in November. Right. Yeah, I, it's crazy, right? isn't it's it? It's really early still. Well, yeah. just on that note, can you can you draw directly the connection between the software and the hardware mm. here? Because I think it at this point, probably everyone listening has tried Chat GPT, and you're used to seeing it as a sort of you know it's an interface on the yeah. internet, and you type stuff into it, and it spits something out. But like. Where do the semiconductors actually come in when we're talking about crunching these enormous yeah. data sets? And what makes us, you kind of touched on this a little bit with NVIDIA, but what makes a semiconductor better at doing AI versus more yeah. traditional computational processes? Yeah, yeah, you bet. So to answer that second question, I, I think AI is really much more around parallel processing. And, and in particular, Frank, it's this kind of map, matrix map. It, 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 it's a single class of calculations that these things do very, very efficiently and, and do very, very well. And they do them much more efficiently than a CPU that, that performs a little more serially versus parallel. You just couldn't run this stuff on, on CPUs. But don't get me wrong. You, you do some, we've been talking about inference on, on large language models. There's, there's all kinds of, of inference. Inference workloads range from very simplistic to very, very complex. Again, my, my you know, cat recognition example was very simplistic. Something like this, or frankly, something like autonomous driving, that, that is an inference activity, but is a hugely computationally intense um, inference activity. And so there's still a lot of inference today that actually happens. In fact, most inference today actually happens on CPUs. But I'd say the, the types of things that you're trying to do are getting more and more complex, and CPUs are getting less and less viable for that, for that, kind, of, for that kind of math. And so that's kind of the difference between GPUs and other types of parallel offerings versus like a CPU. I, I should say, by the way, GPUs are not the only way to do this. Google, for example, has their own AI chips. They call them a TPU, Tensor Processing Unit. Huh. One thing I really like about talking to Stacy, two things is A, I think he comes up with better versions of our questions than <laughs> yeah. we do, which I really like. He's like, look, one he's thing like, about the like, question you like, just asked, like, yeah, you didn't actually like, ask. He's always like, all right, that's a good question, but let me actually <laughs> reframe the question to get a better response. So I appreciate that. And he also anticipates, because I literally, like, on my computer right now, I had Google Cloud Tensor Processing Units, because yeah. that was my next question. And also, in part, because I think yesterday, the information reported that Microsoft is also... Microsoft. So why don't you yeah. talk to us about that, these other... Yeah. Com and what are they competing yeah. directly and, and with? And it actually gets into your software so this is, Yeah, yeah. Yeah, you, you bet. So Google's... Do, by the, this is not new. Google's been right. doing their own chips for seven or eight years. It, it is not new. Right. And but they have what they call a TPU and they use it extensively for their own internal workloads. Absolutely. Amazon has their own chips. They have a training chip it's, that's called, you know, kind of hysterically, it's called Trainium. They have an inference <laughs> chip. It's called Interferentia. Microsoft apparently is working on their own. I, my, my, my feeling is every hyperscaler is working on their own chip, particularly for their own internal workloads. And, and that is an area we, you know, we talked about NVIDIA software mode. Like Google doesn't need NVIDIA software mode. They're not running CUDA. They're they're just running TensorFlow. Okay. Right. And 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 doing their their thing. They don't need CUDA. Anything, however, that is facing an end customer, like an enterprise, like end customer, like on a public cloud, like like a customer going to AWS and renting, you know, compute power, that tends to be GPUs because customers don't have Google's just sophistication. They really do need the the, the software uh. ecosystem that that's built around this. So they use good. So for example. 
I can go to Google Cloud. I can actually rent a TPU instance. It can be done. Nobody really does it. And actually, if you look how they're priced, typically it's actually more expensive, um, usually even than than, than how the way that Google's pricing uh, GPUs on 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 Google Cloud. It's it's similar for Amazon and, and others. And so I do think that all the hyperscalers are working on their own, and and there is a certain a, certainly a place for that, especially for their own internal workloads. Anything that's facing a customer that that NVIDIA GPU ecosystem is really kind of so yeah. Up. This is so this is so actually these just to clarify because that point is really interesting that for like. If again, Tracy and I want to launch Oddlots GPT, yeah. part of the issue would be not necessarily the the hardware, the sort of the silicon, but actually that NVIDIA's software suite built around it would make it much easier for us to sort of start and use on NVIDIA for training our model. Yeah, yes, it it it, it would. And okay. they they built a lot. And it's funny, you can go listen to like NVIDIA's announcements in their analyst days and things, and they're as much about software as they are about hardware. Mm. So not only have they continued to extend like the basic like the CUDA ecosystem, they've layered all kinds of other application-specific things on on top of it. So they've got what they call Rapids, which is for enterprise machine learning. They've, they've got a library package called Isaacs, which is for automation and robotics. They've got a package called Clara, which is specifically for medical imaging and diagnostics. They've got something called Ku Quantum, which is actually for quantum computer simulations. They've got something for drug discovery. Hmm. So they're layering all these things on, on top, right? Depending on your application, they've got internal teams that are working on this, not just throwing the software out there. They've got people there that can actually like help you work or work and, and, and come along with it. They're doing other things e easier, you know. So they they actually just launched a cloud service, and this is with Google and Oracle and Google and Microsoft, where you can almost they'll, they'll do like a fully provisioned NVIDIA AI supercomputer in the cloud. So because like you know they sell these AI servers and they can cost hundreds of thousands of dollars a piece. If you want now, you can just go to Oracle Cloud or Google Cloud or whatever, and you can sort of rent a fully provisioned NVIDIA supercomputer sitting in the cloud that they'll all, all you got to do is access it right through a web browser. This was going to be just make it super easy. This right? is going to be my next question, actually, because so uh, I I take the point about software, but like, what do the AI supercomputers actually look like nowadays? Like, is there a physical uh, thing in a giant data center somewhere? Oh, yeah. or are they mostly like cloud based, or what does this look like? Like, walk us through. Well, so the Nvidia ecosystem. sells Nvidia sells something they call the DGX. It's a it's a box. I mean, it's I don't know. It's what is it? Two feet by, I don't know what the dimensions are, two feet by two feet or something like that. And huh. It's got eight GPUs and two CPUs and a bunch of memory and a bunch of networking. They've got their own, like, you know, they bought a company called Mellanox a, a while back that did networking hardware. So it's got a bunch of proprietary network. Because that's, but that's something else we haven't talked about. It's not just enough to have the computer, the, the compute. These models are so big, they don't fit on a single C GPU. So you have to be able to network all this stuff together. Yeah. Huh. Right. And so they, they've got networking in there and they have this 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 box and then you can you can stack a whole bunch of boxes together. Like NVIDIA has their own internal supercomputer. It's on the it's fairly high on the top 500 list. They call it Selene. It's a bunch of these DGX like servers that they make all just like stacked together effectively. And they sell for the older generation. Their prior generation was called Ampere. And that box sold for one hundred ninety nine thousand dollars. I don't believe they've released pricing on, on the Hopper version, but I, I know for the Hopper GPU, it costs two to three X what Ampere cost, what Ampere wow. cost in the prior generation. So, so, so this yeah, actually but, raises but I mean, a separate question yeah. to me, which is, okay, there's the price and it exists and you could go to, you could theoretically go mm -hmm. and use Google's Tensor yeah. based cloud or, 
is it available? Like, or, or is it, because I sort of get the impression that like for some of the technology that people mm -hmm. want to use, it is not available at any price and that there is a actual, yeah. scare. is that real or not? It, it seems to be. So we're like, so their, their new generation, which is called Hopper, which like I said, has characteristics of it that make it very attractive, especially for these kind of like chat GPT large mm -hmm. language models is in tight supply. We're at the very beginning of that product cycle. They, they just launched it like in the last like couple of quarters. Mm -hmm. And so that ramp up takes time. And it, it does seem like they are seeing accelerated demand because of this kinds of stuff. And so, yeah, I think supply is tight. We've heard stories about GPU shortages at Microsoft and, and, and the cloud vendors. And I think there was a Bloomberg story the other day that said these things were selling for like $40,000 on eBay or something, <laughs> right? Wow. I took a look at some of those listings. They looked a little shady to me, but yeah, it, it's tight. And you have to remember these parts are very complicated. So the lead times to actually have more made, it, it takes a while. Wait, so just right. on so this things, note, things I, I joked yeah. about this in the intro, but, you know, could I buy like a Bitcoin mining facility and take uh. <laughs> all that computer processing power and like convert it into something that could be used for AI? Is that a possibility? You you, you could. Uh, the Bitcoin stuff, at least a lot of the Bitcoin stuff was done that was with GPUs. They were Those were still mostly gaming GPUs. People were buying Gaming GPUs right. and repurposing them for for Bitcoin and Ethereum, mostly Ethereum mining. Yeah, they're they're not nearly as compute efficient as the data center parts, right? Mm -hmm. um, but I mean, in theory, yeah, you could get you know gaming GPUs if you could and string them, but it it would be prohibitive, right? Mm -hmm. And even now, most of that stuff's cleared out. I think as 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 Joe said, but the math is is somewhat similar. I, I'd say for for these kinds of models, though, again, like a Hopper, Nvidia's new data center product has they have something they call a transformer engine. What it really does is it allows you to do the training at a slightly lower precision than unless you do it at, at eight bit floating point versus 16 bit. It'll, so it lets you get higher performance. And then there's another process. There's like a conversion process sometimes that has to go when you go from training to inference. It's something called quantization. And with these transformer engines, you don't have to do that. And so it increases the efficiency, which you wouldn't get by, by picking some random GPU. Where is Intel mm -hmm. in this story? Well, so let, let's talk about the other competitive yeah, options that yeah, are yeah, out great. there, right? Okay. So we talked about some of the captive silicon and hyperscalers. That is there, and it is real, and they're all building their own, and they've been doing it forever, and it hasn't slowed anything down in the slightest because we're still early, and, yeah. and the opportunity is big. By the way, I will say, I don't worry, to, to, to lead with it, I don't worry so much about competition at this point because think about it. NVIDIA's run rate in their data center business right now. It's something like $15 billion a year. That's where it is. It's growing, but that's where it is. So Jensen, NVIDIA's CEO, like, likes to throw out big numbers. And, and he threw out, I think he said for silicon and hardware TAM in the data center, he thought that their TAM over time was $300 billion. And it seemed kind of crazy, although I would say like it's seeming a little less and less crazy every day. But if you thought the TAM was $300 billion or, to, or, or $100 billion or like whatever, and they're run rating at $15 billion, there's tons of headroom. Competition doesn't really matter. And that's what we've seen. We've seen competition... Hmm. But there's so much opportunity, like, who cares, right? Versus, like, if you thought it was a $20 billion TAM, like, they would have a problem, like, already today. So that's why I don't worry too much, because I think the opportunity is still very, very large relative to where they're running the business today. In terms of other competitors, though, so, yes, you mentioned, let's talk about AMD first, because AMD actually makes GPUs. They make data center GPUs. They don't sell very many of them. Their, their current product is something called the MI250, and they've sold... De minimis, basically. And in fact, you know, when the China sanctions were put on in, you know, we didn't talk about that, but the U.S. has stopped allowing like high-end AI chips from being shipped to China. 
Right. The MI-250 80s part was on the list, but it didn't affect them at all because they weren't selling any. Hmm. Right? So their sales were zero. They've got another product coming out at the following that's called the MI-300. And people have been getting kind of excited about AMD. They've been sort of looking to play it as kind of like the poor man's NVIDIA. I'll be honest, I don't think it's the poor man's NVIDIA. NVIDIA is doing, you know, close to $4 billion a quarter in data center revenues. I don't know that I see anything like that with the MI-300. In fact, they, in, in AMD, as far as I tell, has not even released any sort of specifications what it looks like at this point so but that is an option and some people would say there's maybe some truth to this is is you know if you want an alternative amd will present an alternative and if the opportunity is really that big they'll get some they'll, they'll probably get some if you have that you have intel so intel's got a few things on on their cpus their current version is called sapphire rapids it has um ai specific accelerators for for inference not not so much maybe for this kind of stuff but for general inference activities they're trying to play up the capabilities of, of their CPU on, mm. on that, fine. And why are they doing that? It's because their accelerator roadmap isn't so good. So they have a GPU roadmap. The code name for it was Ponte Vecchio, and they've kind of gutted that roadmap. So the follow-on product was something called Rialto Bridge that they've since canceled. And one of the Ponte Vecchio products recently, they just canceled. And a Ponte Vecchio originally was designed for the Aurora supercomputer and it was massively late. I mean, so like they they took uh, how much was it? It was something like a three hundred million dollar charge. I think it was the at the end of twenty twenty one. It was either the end of twenty or end of twenty twenty one. Where they they basically they gave it away. It was so late. Hmm. So that's that's how late they were. They also have another product. They bought a, an Israeli AI company called Habana, and Habana has a product called Gaudi. It's not a GPU exactly, but it's like a a, a, a specific accelerator technology. And Amazon bought some of them and they sell a little bit. But again, it, it versus Intel's total revenues, it's de minimis. So they're not really there. There's also a bunch of startups. Mm-hmm. And the problem with most of the startups is their, their, their story tends to be something like, you know, we have a product that's 10 times as good as NVIDIA. And the issue is with every generation, NVIDIA has something that's 10 times as good as NVIDIA <laughs> and they have the software ecosystem that goes with it. Mm-hmm. By the way, neither AMD nor Intel nor most of the startups have anything remotely resembling NVIDIA's uh, software. So that's another huge issue right. that all of them are facing. There's a few startups that have some niche success. One of the ones that's, that's probably gotten the most you know, attention is, is called Cerebrus or Cerebrus. And their whole thing, they make a chip. It, it's Imagine taking a 300 millimeter silicon wafer and it's inscribing a square on it. That's their chip. It's like one chip per wafer. And so you can put very large models onto these chips and, and they've been deploying them for those kinds of things. But um, again, the, the software becomes a, an issue, but they've had a little bit of success. There's some other names that, that you know, you, you've got Grok and some others, I think, that are, that are still out there. And then there's a company called Tenstorrent, which is interesting, not because of so far what they're doing, because it's early, but it's run now by Jim Keller. And do you guys know who Jim Keller is? I do not. Jim Keller was 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 he's sort of like a star chip designer. He designed Isn't Apple's that... first custom oh. processor. Oh. He designed AMD's Zen and Epic roadmaps that they've been that they've been taking a lot of share with. He was even at, at Tesla for a while and at Intel. And so he's now running Tenstorrent. And they they do it's a Risk Five. Risk Five is another type of architecture, and they do they do an AI chip. So Jim is running that. So can I just ask, based on that, I, I mean, how like CapEx intensive is developing chips that are well suited for AI versus other types of chips? Mm-hmm. And then secondly, like where do the improvements come from or what are the like 
improvements focused on? Is it speed or like scale yeah. given the data sets involved and the, the yeah. parallel processes that you described? Yeah, so it, it's a few things. So in terms of CapEx intensive, these are mostly design companies, so they don't have a lot of CapEx. It's certainly R&D intensive. Hmm. So maybe, maybe that, that's what you're getting. And NVIDIA spends like many billions of dollars a year on, on R&D. And NVIDIA has a little bit of advantage too because it's, it's effectively the same architecture between data center and gaming. So they've got other, other volume effectively to sort of amortize some of those investments over. Although now, I mean, this year, I mean, data center is probably 60% of NVIDIA's revenues now. So, I mean, in, NVIDIA is sort of the center of, data center is the center of gravity for NVIDIA now. But it's very R&D intensive and probably getting more so. And, and you've got folks all up and down the, the value chain that are investing here, both the silicon guys, you know, and, and the cloud guys and the customers and, and everything else. But I mean, that, that's kind of where we are. In terms of what you're you're looking for, so there, there's a few things. You're looking for performance and on, on training quite often that comes down to like time to train. Mm. So I've got a model, like some of these models, I mean, you, you could imagine could take weeks or months historically to train, right? And, and that's a problem. Like you, you, you want it to be faster. So if you can get that down, you know, to, to weeks or, you know, to, to days or hours, that would be better. So that's one thing clearly that they work on. I don't um, want to, you there's know. something known as, yeah, go ahead. No, finish your thought, then I have a slightly... Uh, oh, yeah. Adjacent. The other thing I was talking about, there's something around like like scale out. So basically, remember I said you're you're connecting lots and lots of these chips together. Mm -hmm. So for example, if if I if I increase the number of chips by 10x, does my training time go back down by like a factor of 10 or is it like by a factor of two? So like, yeah. ideally, you would want like lin linear scaling, right? Well, I want is... like as I add resources... It scales linearly. So right? this is kind of getting was going to get into my next question, mm -hmm. actually. And, you know, we can talk in another with someone else about certain like AI fantasy doom yeah. scenarios. But I should say, but I'm, I'm not an AI. No, I, I'm not an AI architecture expert. I'm a dumb yeah. plasma engineer. So <laughs> I it, just say you may want to get an AI. No, expert. I know. Somebody, <laughs> but I am curious, though, because I do think it relates to this question, which is that, OK, like with each one, like GPT-5 and they're going to like keep adding more knobs on the box, et cetera. Mm -hmm. Like. And is your perception that this sort of quality of the output is growing exponentially? Or is it the kind of thing where it's like GPT-4, you know, there's a lot more knobs and they got a big jump from GPT-3. GPT-5 will be way more knobs. But like, is it going to be marginally better? Like, what is the sort oh. of like, where are we in the sort of like, what is the shape of the output curve look like? And this sort of like cost of... By, you know, these chip developments yeah. in terms of getting there. I don't know. It's kind of. So a, there's a couple yeah. of things. So, so first of all, you know, when you're talking about large language models, accuracy is sort of a nebulous term because it's not just accuracy. It's like, like, it's also capability. Like what can it do? And we can sure, talk a little yeah. bit what chat GPT and, and GPT-4 can do. And also like, I, I think as you're going forward and you talk about the trajectories here, it's not just text, right? We're talking text to text, right? But there's also text to images. And if anybody mm -hmm. played with like Dali, mm -hmm. where, where it's, you know, it's, generating images from a text prompt. And now we've got like video. What is it? Was it mid, was it mid, mid summer? Is that what it's called? Mid journey? Mid journey. Yeah. I can't remember. Mid journey. Yeah. So it's, it's, it's creating like video prompts. I yeah. mean, so like the, like text is just scrapped is just the, the tip of the iceberg, I think in terms of what we're going to, to need in, 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 in terms but of. But they're never, they're never going to get to where they could have three people having a conversation with voices Why? that sound like Tracy, Joe, and Stacey. Right? Why? No, yeah. I'm just kidding. Well, I it's mean, we're, we're, no, I'm just kidding. It feels like we yeah, have one I mean, more year of this job. Now, one of the dangers, clearly, and, and maybe this gets to capabilities. So one, one thing with ChatGPT is it's very, very good 
this where I should worry about my job because it's very good about that. That's it's sounding like it knows what it's talking about, where maybe it doesn't. Right? So maybe I should be worried about my job. You know, and, and accuracy, I think, is, is a big issue. But and, did, you have but, to remember. But so, so, but like on this accuracy question, like mm-hmm. I assume you know, like self-driving right. cars. Like when people were yes. really hyped about them t- ten years ago, they're like, "Oh, it's ninety-five percent solid. We just have a little bit more, and then it's solid." Yeah. It's and then ten years bit, later, right? yeah, ten years later, it feels like they haven't made any progress on that final five percent. Yeah, I mean, these little. things are always a power law. So, right? so, we, so this is easy. my question: When we talk about yeah. accuracy or, or these things, like, are we at the yeah. point where, like, is it going to be the kind of thing where it's like, yeah, GPT five? will definitely be better than GPT-4, but it will be like 96% of the way there. 90, uh, well, like, again, let, let me separate out yeah. Let me separate out accuracy from, from capability okay. again. So in terms of accuracy, you have to remember like it, the, the model has no idea what accurate even means. Mm-hmm. It doesn't, remember, it, these things are not actually intelligent. I know there's a lot of worry about like what, what they call like, like, like AGI, yeah, yeah. like artificial general intelligence, right? I don't think this is it. This is predictive text. Yeah, that, that's all. The model doesn't know if it's if it's spewing bullcrap or or truth. It has no idea. It's just predicting the next word in in the in the thing, and it, it's because of what it's trained on. So you need to add on maybe other kinds of things to ensure accuracy. Maybe to put guardrails or things things like that. Right. You may need to very carefully like more uh, harsh like your input like data sets and things like that. I think that's a problem now. I think it'll get solved. There's enough data, but like, and this has already been an issue. You got. You, you, you can take it like the other, like the, I don't know if it's the converse of it or not, but things like deep fakes, people are deliberately trying to yeah. use AI to deceive. I mean, you know, this is just human nature. This is this is why we have problems. But I think they can work through that. Just in terms of capabilities, oh, no, though, go ahead. I, I think it's it's really interesting to look at like like sort of similar like a response like to a similar prompt between like Chat GPT and, and GPT four and like what people are getting out of GPT four, it's, it's it's miles ahead of like some of the stuff that G, that, that Chat GPT, which was trained on on, on GPT three, the the model, that the, what it was what is delivering in in terms of nuance, right, and and color and every and everything else. I mean, and I, I think that's going to continue. I wouldn't be and already you're at the point where these things can already pass the Turing test. Oh yeah, right. It can be very difficult to know if it's you know, if I'm putting the question of accuracy aside from it. It's very difficult to know. For some of these things, if, if you didn't know any better, whether it was coming from a real person or not. And I, I think it's going to get like harder and harder to, to tell, like whether, you know, e- even if it's not, you know, quote unquote, really thinking, it's going to be hard for us to tell what's really going on. That is sort of like other interesting, uh, you know, implications right. for, for, for what this might mean over the next you know, so five years or 10 years. As a leading real estate manager, Principal Asset Management harnesses the power of a 360-degree perspective, delivering local insights and global expertise across public and private equity and debt. Our experienced teams are uniquely positioned to uncover compelling opportunities in today's market, giving our clients an exclusive advantage. Principal Asset Management actively invested. Learn more at principalam.com. Investing involves risk, including possible loss of principal. Principal Asset Management SM is a trade name of Principal Global Investors, LLC. Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. You can earn four times points on your top two eligible spending categories every month, like transit, U.S. restaurants, and gas stations. That's the powerful backing of American Express. 
four times points on up to $150,000 in purchases per year. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash businessgoldcard. Just going back to the stock prices, I mean, we mentioned yeah. the NVIDIA chart, which is up quite a lot, although not it hasn't reached its its peak back in 2021. No. The SOX index is is recovering, but, mm-hmm. you know, still below. And Intel, I mean, I won't even mention. But like, where are we in the semiconductor cycle? Because yeah. it feels like on the one hand, there's talk about excess capacity and orders starting mm-hmm. to fall. But on the other hand, there is this real excitement about the future in the form of AI. Yes, yes. So semis in general were pretty lousy last year. They've had a very strong uh, year-to-date performance and the sector's up, which is sector's up, you know, 20, 22% year-to-date, quite a bit above the, the overall market. And the reason is, to your point, like we've been in a cycle, numbers have been coming down. And we may have talked about this last time, I don't remember, but semiconductor investors, like it turns out the best time to buy stocks in general is after numbers come down, but before they hit bottoms. Like if you could buy them right before the last cut, if you could have perfect mm. foresight. You never know when that is, but I mean, numbers have cut, but numbers have come down a lot. So estimates, forward estimates for the industry peaked last June and they are down over 30%, like 35% since that point. It's actually the, the largest negative earnings revision we've had probably since the financial crisis. Wow. And people are, are looking for, you know, playing the bottoming theme and that hopefully things get better in the second half. You know, we get hope, hopefully China reopening and, you got markets like, and this relates to Intel, like like PCs and things where, you know, we've now corrected kind of, we're back like more on a pre-COVID run rate for PCs versus where we were. And the CPUs, which were massively overshipping at the peak, they're now undershipping. And so we're in that inventory flush part of the cycle. And so people have been sort of playing the space for that like second half recovery. Now, now all that being said, if you look at the overall industry, if you look at numbers in the second half, they're actually above seasonal. So people are starting to bake in that cyclical recovery into the numbers. And if you look at inventories, it just overall in the space, they are ludicrously high. I've actually never seen them this high before. So we've had some inventory correction, but we may have we may have not. We may just be getting started there. And if you look at valuations, I think the sector's trading at something like a thirty percent premium to the S and P five hundred, which is the largest premium we've had again probably since things normalized after the tech bubble or mm-hmm. after, after the financial crisis at least. So people have been playing this back up recovery, but yeah, we, we better get it. <laughs> as, a, as, as it relates to some of the other, some of the individual stocks, like you mentioned Intel, it's funny. I mean, you guys may not know this. I just upgraded Intel. Hmm. Oh, how come? Um, the, the title of the note was we hate this call. <laughs> I think it's the right one. <laughs> and I meant that's I, a good, I yeah. desperately would like to stand in front it was and it was not a we like an Intel call. It was just I think that they that they're now undershipping in PCs by a wide margin. And I think for the first time in a while, the second half street numbers might actually be too low. <laughs> so that's it's not like a super compelling call, but I felt uncomfortable pushing there. Although they report earnings next week, I may I may be kicking myself. Like we'll we'll see. NVIDIA, however, so it's clearly, you know. You're right. It hasn't reached its prior peak from a stock price base, and the, and the reason is the, the the numbers have come down a lot. I mean, let's let's be honest. The gaming you know business was was inflated significantly by crypto, right? And so that's all come out, right? And then you know with data center, you had some impacts from from China. China in general was weak, and then we had some of the export controls that they had to work their way around, and so you had some issues there. Now, all of that being said, 
Graphics cards in gaming, we, we talked about some of these inventory corrections. Graphics cards actually corrected the most and the most rapidly. So those have already hit bottom and they're growing again. And NVIDIA's got a product cycle mm. there that they just kicked off. The new cards are called Lovelace. And they and the, they look really good, and especially the high end, and they're starting to fill out like the rest of the stack. So gaming's okay. And then in data center, again, this, you know, this generative AI has really caught everybody's fancy. Yeah. And NVIDIA had a data center of, and, and, and they're saying that they were at the beginning of a product cycle in data center. And you know, they had an event a couple of weeks ago, their, their GTC event, where they actually basically, I mean, directly said we're seeing upside from generative AI even now. Right. So people have been buying NVIDIA on 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 those on that thesis. And like the last time the stock hit the peak hit these peaks, at least in terms of valuation. The issue is we were at the peak of their product cycles and numbers came down. This time valuations kind of went back to where they were at those peaks, but we're at the, at the beginning of the product cycles and numbers are probably going up, not not down. So that's that's why. Stacy, I, I joked in the beginning that we could talk about about this for three hours and I'm sure we could. Um, I'm sure we there's could. such a deep area, but that was a great overview of just like the state of competition, the state of play and the economics of this in a very good way for us to sort of enter mm. talking about uh, AI stuff more broadly. Thank you so much for uh, coming back on Oddlaw. My, my pleasure. Anytime you guys want me here, just let me know. I'll All right, we'll have you back next week for Intel. <laughs> All, right. All right. Take care, Stacey. Thanks, Stacey. Thank you. Bye-bye. I really like talking to Stacy. I he's really good at explaining complicated things. Yeah, I know he made a point of saying that he's not an AI expert, <laughs> but I thought he did a pretty good job of explaining it. I do think the trajectory of how all this I mean, this is such an obvious thing to say, but it's going to be really interesting to watch like yeah. and how businesses adapt to this and we're it, What's kind of fascinating to me is that we're already seeing that differentiation mm -hmm. play out in the market with NVIDIA shares up quite a bit and Intel, which is seen as not as competitive in the space, down quite a bit. I was really interested in some of his points about software in mm. particular. And so you think, yeah, OK, there I hadn't realized that. Yeah. yeah like, I mean, I, I would, you know, like sometimes I see like someone will post on Twitter. It's like, look at this cool thing NVIDIA just rolled out where they can make your face look like something else or whatever. But thinking about like how important that is in terms of like, OK, you and I want to start an AI company, a new idea for a large language model or something specific. We have a model to train. There's going to be a big advantage going with the company that has this huge like, wealth of like libraries and code bases and specific tools around around specific industries, as opposed to it seems like where some of the other competitors are, where it's just much more technically challenging to even like use the chips if they exist like Google's TPUs. Totally. The other thing that caught my attention, is, and I know these are very different spaces in many ways, but there's so much of the terminology and like yeah. th that's very reminiscent of crypto. So just the idea of like <laughs> AI an AI winter, winter yeah, and yeah. a crypto winter. Yeah. And you can see, I mean, you can see the pivot happening right now from like crypto people moving well, into AI. So that's going to be interesting to to watch it, play out. Like how much of it is hype, yeah. classic sort of Gartman hype cycle versus the real thing. But, you know, two things I would absolutely, you know, so two things I think would be interesting. It'd be interesting to go back to like past AI summers, like what were some mm. past periods in which people thought we made this breakthrough yeah. and then what happened? So that might be an interesting. And then the other thing is like, look, like 
you know, in 2023, I have never actually like found a reason I've ever felt compelled to like need to use a blockchain for something. <laughs> and I get use out of chat GPT on something like almost every day. And so, for example, we recently did an episode, you know, yeah, like we'll do an episode now of a question at the end of like, oh, what is the difference? Like yesterday, you know, we recently did an episode on like lending. And so I was like, oh, what's the difference sort of structurally between the leveraged loan market and the private debt market? And I was like, this might be an interesting question for a chat GPT. And like, I got this like very useful, clear answer from it that like I couldn't have gotten so, perhaps as easily from a Google search. So I do think like some of these hype cycles like are really useful, but like I'm already in my daily life and very already rudimentary reasons yeah. getting use out of this technology in a way that I cannot say for anything related to like Web3. No, that is very true. And, you know, the fact that this only came out a few months ago and everyone has been talking about it and experimenting with it kind of speaks for itself. Shall we leave it there? Let's leave it there. This has been another episode of the Odd Lots podcast. I'm Tracy Alloway. You can follow me on Twitter at Tracy Alloway. And I'm Joe Weisenthal. You can follow me on Twitter at The Stalwart. Follow our guest, Stacey Raskin. He's at S. Raskin. Follow our producers, Carmen Rodriguez at Carmen Armin and Dashiell Bennett at Dashbot. And check out all of our podcasts at Bloomberg under the handle at podcasts. And... For more Odd Lots content, go to Bloomberg.com slash Odd Lots, where we blog, we post transcripts, we have a newsletter, and check out the Odd Lots Discord, people, listeners chatting 24-7 about all the things we talk about here. We even have an AI-specific room that's really fun. And some, semiconductor. And a semiconductor room. And so people chatting about these things. I even solicited some questions for today from that group. So it's really fun. I like hanging out in there. You should, too, go to discord.gg slash Thanks for listening. business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. You can earn four times points on your top two eligible spending categories every month, like transit, U.S. restaurants, and gas stations. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Four times points on up to $150,000 in purchases per year. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash businessgoldcard. It can be hard to see the challenges that people we work with every day are going through. I'm Holly Robinson-Pete. Join us on The Visibility Gap, a new podcast presented by Cigna Healthcare. Download it wherever you get your podcasts.